Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome back to week nine of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Deborchek. Kyle, before we begin, we do have a quick announcement, as if we're not doing enough shows already behind the scenes. Let's go ahead and add another one, because moving forward, this beginning segment that we all like to sit around and enjoy together to recap the lessons learned from the week prior, it's also tacking on a little too much extra time for this show. So how about with our minds fresh off of the results Sunday night, what if we just do our own tournament recap show and we talk about lessons learned there for what I'm estimating as three to five minutes and to be waiting for you on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube page every Monday morning. So that's what Kyle and myself will do moving forward, show the lineups, show a few tournaments that we entered and what happened along the way. So knowing that, Kyle, let's go ahead and also start for the last time in this show a few lessons learned, a few important moments from week nine, from week eight, I should say, if you have any. Yeah, this is a, I like the idea of putting a show like right after the slate because it really does scrape my, like the the recesses of my brain to remember what happened last slate. Like, I'll let you go first. I literally have like no functional memory. And as soon as you say like the one thing, oh God, it's, well, the thing that most sticks out to me is uh, the uncertainty that we faced in a few spots, but most importantly uh, around the Boston Scott Jordan Howard, Kenneth Gainwell situation. And uh, I actually liked my leverage spot there. I liked having a running back opposite the, um, the, or I guess, you know, on the same team, but potentially stealing the touchdowns from Jalen Hurts, who looked like the obvious, like just underpriced quarterback play as were his tight end, you know, his tight end Dallas Goddard and top receiver Devonta Smith. So I loved the idea of having uh, a running back as the potential pivot off of him and just completely misjudged the situation around the backfield, which obviously was Gainwell got, I think, 13 carries, and they almost entirely came in the fourth quarter because they were killing the Lions. It's not, I wasn't even close to being right. There's no way to construe myself as right on that. I like the leverage spot I had, but I, I think, I mean, ideally, it was just the double leverage to get Boston Scott off of both Gainwell and the backfield. So I think just better, not even, uh, you know, not reading the tea leaves on situations better, understanding the ambiguity within situations was something I probably misjudged in that spot. Even if I thought strategically it made sense to go to the backfield, uh, you know, the, the overconfidence with which myself and like 10 or 15% of DFS players, depending on your contest, had in Kenneth Gainwell was just wild. Injuries and late scratches typically force people to panic on Sunday morning. I, on the other hand, 
love it because it tells you yeah. who is going to be rostered. It's like the most information we genuinely receive only trailing like Schefter's tweets, knowing that, okay, this player is out, thus tournament players, cash players, whatever it is, are instead going to play this player as pivot. And so Sunday morning with the DeAndre Swift and Calvin Ridley news, everyone panicked. I absolutely loved it because we knew it was then Cal Pitts and DeAndre Swift. Thus, you should not react as always. You should step back first, see where everyone's going to go with that news, and then act accordingly afterwards. That's why I think Jonathan Taylor on both sites, $100 more than DeAndre Swift on DraftKings, 600 more on FanDuel. And we know Jonathan Taylor gets his touchdowns either from, you know, 70-yard runs apparently or inside the five-yard line anyhow that he actually was not just because Jamal Williams out, but like the offensive environment with the Titans game last week that a total continued going up and increasing throughout the game. He was actually like a better player in a better offensive situation anyways that suddenly projected to come in less roster than DeAndre Swift. So just an awesome pivot point. Also, Cordero Patterson awesome pivot point and he didn't even get the usage i expected just the fact that we knew then on a weak tight end slate we talked about it last week everyone was then going to go to kyle pitts okay i just fired up cordero patterson instead everywhere and i'm showing you this fanduel lineup uh again i play on fanduel this is a 222 single entry so mid stakes but my lineup is on the left, not the winning one, by the way. The winning one is on the right. And if you look at it, if you're watching the show, remember, it's an interactive one. We take your questions throughout as well every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Josh Allen at the top and Stefan Diggs. Not contrarian at all, right? Fairly popular. And you can see the roster numbers across from these players. Also, Elijah Mitchell. 40% roster because he was only 5,800 on FanDuel. You don't need a run back. We talked about how run backs are overrated. If you don't at least stop first and ask yourself, why am I putting this player in a run back? Like, do I believe he has a ceiling as a same player that's priced similarly to him? And thus he can trump the player who is supposed to be higher rostered than this one. Cordero Patterson, clearly the pivot here. AJ Brown, chalk, Cooper Cup. We talked about Despite being the number one player in fantasy, just the way lineup construction worked out, Cooper Cup was suddenly going to be under-rostered. And that's why I also got all over him, only 12% in this tournament. And then cheapy Dan Arnold, and the kicker was Michael Carter, who I'm actually still kicking myself like seven days later and not playing Michael Carter, knowing what we saw in usage without Tevin Coleman. And then, of course, we saw that again at a uh, 5% in this particular tournament. So just a few interesting notes here. I'm curious if you see anything minus my terrible Justin Herbert stack that you are learning from. Yeah, so I think exactly what we talked about for one spot Cooper Cup happened where, uh, you know, his price goes up and everyone freaks out not realizing he's like Michael Thomas with a higher dot and all of the red zone end zone targets. And as you said, in uh, this 2-2-2 on FanDuel was 12.2%. Like he was the best, it's like Stephon Diggs, I assume was uh, significantly cheaper than him, but was 50% in this contest. And I love in your lineup, you had Zach Moss, he got 8.8 points. It wasn't that notable of a performance. Mm -hmm. But when you're going to have like literally half the field in any given contest, going towards one player, that being a receiver with declining usage relative to last year. And then you have Zach Moss on the rise. Like, I love that leverage play as well, just trying to capture the touchdowns that will hurt your opponents the most. Uh, so yeah, I think that that was a, uh, a really sharp spot by you. It doesn't pay off. It, that's the other thing. It's like a lot of these times, like my, my idea of playing running back on Eagles to take all the touchdowns from the chalk quarterback that part of the the idea paid out. So I also think as we talk about the lineups, uh, you know, the lineups we're looking at that both won and then for us, you know, like last week that lost, it's not be too results oriented to focus on, uh, you know, 
did we get the types of leverage and correlation that we were expecting mm-hmm. to get into our lineups, regardless of how they played out? And did we judge ownership correctly? We talk about, you know, uh, like I thought I saw Cooper Cup projected like 15, 20%, and he generally came in lower than that everywhere. And I think that's one spot. Like I'm not really tweaking like, you know, projections on any website if you're using projections. I'm generally trusting of them because they know more than I do. But with ownership, I do think if you are, you know, listening to podcasts around the industry or just using some sort of intuitive knowledge about people, how people like to play DFS, that's a big edge you can have is finding where people are going to get steamed. And then especially with the morning news, it's hard to correctly adjust ownership an hour and a half before lock, but you can do that mentally. And like you said, know that people were going to vastly overreact to the DeAndre Swift news. Jamal Williams role was like the most empty calories between the twenties type of, or, you know, the bad between the twenties type Absolutely. of role. It, it Getting him into uh, out of the lineup wasn't the greatest boon for on DraftKings, what, 7,100, I believe, DeAndre Swift. So I think just uh, focusing on how our process played out, did we judge our process correctly? More than the results is something that last week can teach us. Uh, obviously, it's easy to say that having had uh, what I believe was good process, and obviously I didn't make anything or you would know. I'm also showing here another non-winning lineup on DraftKings of myself. In the morning, I had the Buffalo Onslaught. And that wouldn't have been the answer anyways. But with the Buffalo onslaught, I at least would have had Daryl Henderson. And what happened in pivoting to Kyle Cordero Patterson, who was cheaper than Kyle Pitts, I then was allowed to get on the Rams onslaught without Daryl Henderson. That was really the issue here. But also Tyler Higby over Pitts and uh, Dan Arnold and Fryermuth. Of course, Arnold and Fryermuth did get there and allow different roster constructions. So again, even if I had Pitts or went another way, I probably would have had a losing lineup anyways with Henderson. But just again, I just wanted to show this right here is that uh, it really wasn't the build. I was actually pretty comfortable with the Rams on slot and having Patterson and Moss as my leverage against the Bills passing attack, which Moss was just fine, clearly. 11.8 on DraftKings. You can take that if everything else is right. It is the Robbie Anderson Lions that was absolutely terrible. Uh, I love the Lions defense, though. I thought I was getting Anderson at 6 or 7%. Um, here's the thing. If I had known Anderson was 13%, never would have dreamed of playing him in my entire life. But to then run him back at, you know, what I thought would be 6 and 7% with Patterson, I thought was sneaky. Turns out 13% Anderson getting a zero and going busto, that is not the way to play tournaments. And then one very quickly, because that is the spin move tournament I showed, the $300 single entry. Again, mid-stakes. This would be the winning lineup from it. Not contrarian at all. Like not knowing what Michael Carter would be on FanDuel or just not not thinking about playing him when it was a great spot the moment Tevin Coleman got scratched. I didn't realize Michael Pittman was going to come in as one of the highest roster player across tournaments. I don't know if I would have played Michael Pittman if that's the case, but I would have done something different and gone overboard on the Titans-Colts game instead of practically fading it all together except for Jonathan Taylor. So that's what I'm upset about myself is not understanding the, the ownership that was happening around Pittman. But here's the winning lineup if you're listening. I'll read it off. It's Tannehill and then Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, A.J. Brown, of course, in the stack. So basically a super stack. And we know if the Colts score basically, you know, 89% of the time, it's got to be between Taylor and Pittman anyway. So no big deal here. Then also Cole Beasley. No, he soaks up a ton of targets without Dawson Knox. And that was basically the leverage this individual used off of Zach Moss or the entirety of the Bills passing game. And then, of course, he played Chalk DeAndre Swift. 56%, just 9.1 points on DraftKings, cheap Dan Arnold and Washington as well, which was also the winning defense on FanDuel. So overall, I think both those winning lineups, honestly, 
nothing like crazy. Like they were still correlated and intelligently built in my opinion. Yeah, I think there were, for both of them, it also really depends on the contest size. These are perfectly fine. I especially like the way that, uh, you know, you got 2% Ryan Tannehill and 10% Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. And then you kept, like, it just was like, oh, let's hope that this game, I don't know, maybe both teams score 30. And I think it even went into overtime. And that's exactly what happened, obviously. So I think Michael Pittman on his own at 28%, I thought he would be north of 20. I didn't even project. Like that was, I was, I thought I was over projecting him over 20%. I was like, I think maybe he tops 20 I'm fading him at that. And he came in way above that. So really, I was fading Michael Pittman. I think at 28%, he's a bit thin, just given, uh, especially leading up to that, he wasn't even getting red zone usage. But I do like that if you're going to play the chalk, make sure that when the chalk hits, you are in an individual lineup overexposed to that in the sense of whenever Michael Pittman scores, it means the ball is immediately going back to Tannehill and AJ Brown, who uh, obviously in this game went off. So I do like that, uh, at least if you're going to play sort of this chalky type of, uh, you know, this chalky individual player, you ensure that you benefit the most, at least as many, as much as you can from his actual success. Whereas playing him as a one-off, I thought would have been like the worst type of play. And Joe Mixon in this winning tournament in the flex as well. If you saw in my lineup on FanDuel that I pulled up, I played the Jets defense because I thought they would cover. And like the way I plan my bets throughout the week, I kind of build somewhat into my DFS lineups and Jets did cover. Here's the thing. It was a 65 point game. So the Jets defense really didn't matter. And thus, because we talked about in loose notes last week, I even mentioned Samaj Pirine just in the Jets allowing a league high in backfield touches per game and thinking the Bengals like may build a lead. But Joe Mixon stuck around after the prior two games getting benched in the fourth quarter for having such a big lead because it was a competitive game throughout. And thus Joe Mixon got there. So yeah, just an overall good build. And again, if you like that segment, that's what we'll be doing every Monday morning. You can go to NBC Sports Ed's YouTube page and look up the video there as we record it Sunday night. But with that... It's time to move on to a new slate in week nine because this is a fun one. You can genuinely build whatever the hell you want to this week, which makes it great because I don't think roster percentages surrounding players is going to get hefty anywhere. I've been building initially and, you know, my decision point we'll talk about here in just a second because I want to start with you. I rarely come across Packers and Chiefs players in my lineups. And so I'm wondering like if I need to start forcing players in there just to get exposure to that game. But with that, I want to hear where have you been at the conundrums, the issues you've been running into when building lineups this week? Yeah, to me, I think the biggest question I am facing, and we still have like injury updates to actually uh, that pretend to this game, but it's what to do with the Dallas players. I don't think there's a way to get contrarian with Dallas, really. We don't know if Michael Gallup will be back. He's been practicing, but I don't know if he's been technically activated yet. They expect him to play, but we still have some, I believe, some holdout there. CeeDee Lamb, a true, genuine questionable after injuring, I think it was his ankle, in practice, which really sucks. So there's injury news to come in this game, but I think Amari Cooper, just well underpriced on DraftKings, is going to be popular. Ezekiel Elliott, a pretty sizable role on an offense with I think like a 29 implied team, almost 30, 29.75 implied team total. Going to be popular, just another underpriced play. Dak coming back in a game with a high total, or at least a team high total, popular. So I really think that the, the question is, do you go, in any individual lineup at least, do you go all in on this game or do you completely fade it? And right now I'm kind of leaning towards there are teams that can probably put up as many points, you know, there's always, but I think there are teams that this week project to put up in the same ballpark of as many points, you're just going to get to Dallas more often because it's priced in a way that would make you think it's a pretty middling implied team total. When in reality, it's the Dallas Cowboys. They should be able to have no problem handling Denver. So I tend to lean against playing this chalky spot because I think there are teams that can contend with them. But I think that's kind of the starting point because I I would always say, you know, 
if Amari Cooper is going to be super popular? What if Zeke scores all the touchdowns? But Zeke's going to be popular too. I think people are just going to want to play every piece of this game. I'm kind of generally, especially with the NFL being such a high variant sport, just because touchdowns are, are are an event as opposed to basketball where everything is an iterative uh, event or, you know, they're just tiny events. If the touchdowns just go weird in this game or they don't come as a, you know, just bad red zone luck. Obviously there are so many paths for this game to hit an under for the team total hit an under. And because of that, I'm generally in the, in NFL DFS more likely to just fade popular plays. Whereas in other sports that are uh, a little more predictable, the standard deviations are lower. It's a little harder to, uh, you know, just fade the obvious plays, you know, the $3,500 starting point guard on any given slate for, for NBA is a lot more likely to actually have his uh, his projected outcome be the real outcome, where in the NFL, it's just less. So I generally play more aggressive in that sense in NFL. It's probably another week of that. You said you don't think there's a way to get contrarian off it, but, and this is from our friends at ETR. I won't, sh I won't say everything because I do want everyone to go subscribe to them. <laughs> Not only because they're friends, but they do a lot of good work, minus Silva. But <laughs> they have their projections for DFS. Love you, Silva. Uh, and right now, Ezekiel Elliott, because I came into the week thinking he would be under-rostered. And he actually is projecting right now over there as the highest rostered running back on the entire slate on DraftKings. And so you say you don't think you contrarian. Isn't double-stacking Dak contrarian and trying to soak up all the touchdowns through the air? Dak, full practice, removed from the injury report on Friday. Uh, I don't think people are going to want to play C.D. Lamb, given the ankle sprain, even though we expect them to play. And then you just add in Amari Cooper. And that, in my opinion, I came to Friday morning, I started getting here, thinking that's the pivot with... Maybe not away, but with for sure Albert O, who's going to be the highest roster tight end at only 2,600 on DraftKings. Maybe even the highest roster on FanDuel, given that it's pretty big bump to save, you know, 2,300, 2,800 from him all the way up to Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I think Amari Cooper comes in as a top three. Uh, even before, okay. like he was projecting before the CD, uh, you know, actual questionable as one of the, if not the most popular receivers. And I've seen sites that project receivers to be a little more popular than him that I just think at his price on DraftKings. And obviously it's great. You know, it's not just that he's cheap. It's a great game for him because the team has a nearly 30 implied team total. 5,700 is like legitimately maybe a thousand off of what he should be. It's a pretty terrible pricing by DraftKings yeah. coming off. Nonetheless, an absolute smash, I guess was Minnesota primetime game. I guess pricing maybe was already released. He was coming off some quiet games. So I, can't play DraftKings or you can, whatever. But yeah, he's coming off an absolute smash and he's a thousand underpriced. I think he's probably, regardless of CD Lamb status, a top three uh, receiver in terms of popularity. I hear you, but I, I still think Dak and CD with Amari is a way to get contrarian. I'm going to look for it. I actually already have Dak and one other quarterback we'll talk about into a bit as like my two man pool. I'm only at two guys right now. It feels pretty good. Both guys could be losing. But um, I had my pull dwindled out already in two games I really love that are flying under the radar. So I don't know. I still think Dak is under a roster option. I want to see if he gets steamed by Sunday just because I feel like everyone will eventually catch on that this is the same game we played in the Patriots one where no one played Dak double stacks except for winning lineups because they were just trying to get the equity off Zeke. And that seems like, although I want to play Zeke everywhere, that seems like what you may have to do on Sunday. I'll see if Dak and CD start getting as steamed as a Zeke and Amari by Sunday morning. But right now, I already mentioned that I don't know what I'm doing with the Packers-Chiefs game just yet because we honestly should like it. Uh, I've bet the Packers confidently at with the hook, 7.5 plus 7. Um, we saw, you know, the Chiefs favored by too many points on Monday night, could barely beat a terrible Giants offense that even chose to kick field goals from inside the five-yard line, and they still 
the Chiefs barely got away with the win. So I have, I have no confidence that they can just roll over the Packers, even with Jordan Love. Uh, having said that, Devontae Adams, even what he's done with Brett Hundley in the past, still seems like he's overpriced right now with Jordan Love. Aaron Jones seems to be a good pivot point because he doesn't seem like he's going to be rostered as everyone wants to go to the passing game, especially on DraftKings because Jordan Love is only 4400 He's so cheap. So it's either like him or a lot of people just want to pay up for Lamar Jackson, who projects to be the highest rostered quarterback right now, or Josh Allen, if you want to onslaught the Bills in a great spot against the Jaguars. And then, of course, Tyreek Hill on the other side, because he didn't reach 100 yards, but, you know, you get 18 targets. You get that on DraftKings, like, that's all you care about. I don't even care if you get the bonus. I'll take 18 targets from Tyreek any day. So I'm curious where you're at right now with this game. Yeah, I think this game, especially the Chiefs, just coming off of back to back to back to back, seemingly a never-ending string of poor games and i don't think it's it's pure randomness right like mahomes has not played well he's made some bad mistakes but on the same end i mean they have three interceptions alone inside their opponents 10 two more uh, i believe their interceptions they also might be completed passes that turned into fumbles within their opponents 25 this year and none of them are normal interceptions they are literally every single one is it hits off a dude's face mask and goes into the the waiting arms of a defender i think their turnover luck especially where they've come on the field has been incredibly poor even if mahomes is not playing up to the normal mahomes standard and i do think we are finally going to get to a point where you know looking at uh you know roster ship projections right now mahomes doesn't look uh, that awfully popular his team total is also not like crazy high it's actually i believe it's come down just a little bit because the obviously the game total has come down so i think given the sort of whirlwind of circumstances around this game it will not be as popular as patrick mahomes you know i don't want to say you know he's uh he's at least playing an offense that has good weapons even if they are captained by probably a not good quarterback but i think this game probably comes in well less popular than it should given that it features a quarterback we were saying like oh 17 mahomes i don't know that sounds about right like in week three and it is completely kind of come off the rails i think anytime you can get even modest ownership on on someone like mahomes that's kind of an easy spot for me to buy into i am being kind enough to show the dfs projections of the top five quarterbacks only at nbcsportsedge.com and you can see that mahomes is coming in number two behind josh allen and i agree with you i don't think you know how many people roster mahomes i don't think it's going to get condensed on this slate at all. You're also seeing Kyler Murray, who I actually don't expect to play in this game, so I'm just foregoing that one. Joe Burrow right underneath Kyler Murray and the Dak Prescott, who we already talked about. But Mahomes still projecting as the second highest scoring quarterback on this slate. And it pretty much still remains the same who you roster him with, right? It's, it's still just Travis Kelsey, who I, I think is going to come in severely under-rostered since no one wants to play him. Everyone thinks he's hit some non-existent age wall even though he's just gone as the Chiefs offense is gone like even Mahomes has been under six yards per attempt in three of his last last four games probably why also Patrick Mahomes will be under rostered then of course it's Tyreek Hill so I can see myself you know coming around to this offense like double stacks as a whole maybe not even running it back maybe just playing all two of them knowing that they're still passing at a top five rate with the lead top six rate with the lead this year but overall yeah it's actually a sort of a dumbfounding situation for me because when have I, when have we never wanted to double stack Mahomes uh, less than he should be rostered? And here we are. And now we're questioning the offense all of a sudden. I would never question this offense. I, I mean, actually they probably like <laughs> Mahomes has played worse. Like he's had a, uh, you know, a lesser season for his own standards without a doubt. Like I won't contend that he hasn't made some mistakes, but uh, you know, it's a small sample size thing, or at least yeah. it is. We have seen a small sample. He could continue to be bad. It is certainly possible or at least less than his normal self. 
But we are dealing with, as always, as always is the case in the NFL, even a season is a very small sample. It takes some stats literally never. They just never stabilize. It takes, you know, touchdown rates years and years to stabilize. So, I, you know, I think anytime there will be even a semblance of hesitation on Mahomes, I will typically uh, buy into that. I'm always like pretty hesitant to play Kelsey just because his ceiling at similar prices. Usually sometimes Hill gets uh, pretty significantly priced ahead of him, but within a thousand dollars, I mean, Tyreek Hill, I think has like as many 50 point games as, as Travis Kelsey has 40 point games. So I'm generally hesitant to buy into him, but I do think just as the offense goes, he will be particularly unpopular. I, I still almost, uh, you know, unless you're in really small field stuff, refuse to double stack because he has slightly negative, but essentially zero correlation with Tyreek Hill. So the whole point of buying up pieces of the offense is kind of canceled out by the fact that they're both expensive and they don't typically go off in the same games. So I'm typically looking to do Michael Hardman, Tyreek Hill. Uh, I've even done Demarcus Robinson. That rarely seems to work out, but he does every once in a while find his way into the end zone as the ancillary pieces of Patrick Mahomes offense tend to do. So I'll probably do a lot of Michael Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Mahomes. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I think just another spot, super elite talent, Devontae Adams probably won't be that popular because his quarterback is not yeah. going to be very good. But I, yeah. if there are players in the NFL that can overcome bad quarterback play in a matchup against the defense allowing the most yards per play in the NFL, 6.4, worse than teams like Houston, Detroit, Jacksonville, like considerably worse, it would be Devontae Adams, obviously. And he will still have, he, like having a backup quarterback could only fuel his target share to somehow climb higher. So I actually really like just paying up for all of the expensive pieces in this game and hoping, as you said, the, or the, the Chiefs cannot stop even Jordan Love because their defense is terrible. Jordan Love covers, the game goes over. That's like the ideal scenario for this game, which will be abnormally low in terms of ownership for a Mahomes game. If everyone catches on to Dak being the pivot from Zeke, uh, and that's how you also play Albert O, I could see myself getting off that idea entirely and instead double stacking Mahomes because then, you know, ownership will start concentrating towards the Cowboys instead. So I could definitely see myself being a lot more confident then. Otherwise, I think the argument to play Kelsey is just that, Albert O, actually. The fact that everyone's going to pay down, it's contrarian, but intelligently contrarian, that no one will pay up. And so, like, just to get Travis Kelsey, the most expensive tight end, over literally the cheapest tight end, like, no one's going to get there mentally. And so that's why I kind of love playing him this week. We'll see if I get there by Sunday morning. But for you, who will be your highest roster player or, you know, intelligent contrarian flyer, let's say, in the recreational leagues? I always talk about the $9 slant. Uh, there's a $3 max 150 entry out there on DraftKings that's also available, I think is a good payout. Just any of those tournaments. Yeah, I think one really interesting one will be Jerry Judy came back. He only saw four targets, but I don't believe anyone on that team actually saw uh, more than four targets in that game. Tied for a team high in targets. That's what he did as a rookie. He led his team in targets. He led all rookies in targets last year, I believe. So as a potential pivot off of Albert O, who, yeah, 2,600, no Noah fan. Uh, I think Banjo already said they don't plan on him being back in time. Hasn't returned one negative test yet, or at least as of like Wednesday. Hadn't. So he's not, he's not playing, it doesn't seem like. Obviously, Albert O, 2,600, being targeted, I believe, 20% of his routes is been a pretty good player. He, he also runs a 4.49 at like 260 pounds. The dude's a great athlete. It's obvious that's the case. But I do think there's every real scenario in which Jerry Judy just goes out and plays like Jerry Judy, gets a bunch of targets. And because the, you know, the Broncos, although they are underdogs in this game, aren't generally going to be this like high scoring aggressive offense. If he gets 10 targets, there might not be enough to go around for even 2,600 Albert O. So paying up somewhere else, like especially paying up at tight end and going Jerry Judy, even Corton Sutton, but I think Corton Sutton probably ends up being still at 5,900, the more popular of him and Judy. 
going to Judy in this game also would be a very unique run back if you actually play what I think will be kind of a chalky Dak, Amari Cooper, even like Dalton Schultz. I think that stack will be relatively popular, but the run back option would always be Albert O for people not thinking in the way that we think. Run it back with Jerry Judy would actually be like a contrarian way that I could get on board with playing a chalky Dallas stack. Do you have like conviction on Jerry Judy significantly over Cortland Sutton? I wouldn't say uh, significantly. Because I've been... I've been thinking about Sutton and we've seen when the Broncos have been pressed by better teams or they've fallen behind since they've only beat four, like literally the worst teams in the NFL. Bridgewater's thrown 38 and 49 pass attempts. So we see like if he gets loose here, maybe it's not good, but at least we're going to get significant pass attempts. And if like he's forced to throw more downfield, I'd actually be more confident in Sutton as like a ceiling option over Judy. But I agree that both are great pivots, amazing pivots. Yeah, I think both are good pivots. I, I think Judy will be less popular, and I don't have any strong dif- like strong difference between the two. Judy is cheaper, though, less popular, and I think projects for a pretty similar, uh, you know, a pretty similar fantasy point total, pretty similar target share, even if his targets are a little lower. A dot. Also, Cortland Sutton's two worst games in terms of targets was Week One and this past week, the only games mm-hmm. J- Jerry Judy has appeared, and so it's very clear that when Jerry Judy is available, Cortland Sutton is no longer uh, like an alpha style receiver in the sense of he's not going to dominate his team's targets. He's a one A one B type of player. And if that's the case, I'll just take the one who's cheaper and probably less popular. I could be wrong on that. I think they'll both come in relatively low owned, which is why I'm fine with either. It's why I don't have a strong conviction on either. But if if you make me pick, I'm definitely going to take Jerry Judy. I think on, on DraftKings, I could be convinced to go Judy since he's earned 11 targets on 48 routes this season. But on FanDuel, I kind of want the, the 100, like the touchdown ceiling. So mm-hmm. I would actually go Sutton on FanDuel instead. I have a few. Like, like I said, I, I actually – it's become pretty clear for me. I feel like I'm clairvoyant in betting this week, which always means I'm going to go like 0-7. And, and my tournament lineups, I feel like they're okay already because like when there are tons of injuries, like that's when I'm at my best since I'm just so aware already since, uh, you know, we're working around the clock here with injuries at the news on NBC Sports Edge. So uh, I love Kadarius Tony. I feel like I'm going to play a ton of Kadarius Tony. We've seen now two games without Sterling Shepard overlapping, and he has a 28% target share, 11 targets per game in those two contests. So I love him. And then I also love, you don't pay up for Kelsey. Like we can skinny stack him easily with Waller, who, uh, remember, we were on a buy low in Waller. The last time we saw him was the only time that he went under seven targets in any game this year. And now he's been gone two weeks. I feel like no one will catch on. Plus, we have a, a ceiling we don't know without Henry Ruggs. So I imagine someone gets there. It could be Hunter Renfro, who's pretty cheap on FanDuel as well. I, I'm, I could play him on both sides, honestly. But I do still love Waller, especially because, as we mentioned earlier, everyone's they're, they're not going to be able to break their brain and pay up at tight end where they can just pay down so cheap for Albert O. And then Ayuk is another thin one if you're playing like $9, $3 million makers because we get – Debo Samuel, who is highly questionable, reportedly his calf injury is worse than last week. And Ayuka actually is fresh off season highs and targets with seven, target share 25%, snaps, and then ran more routes than Debo Samuel as well. Uh, 97% of Jimmy Garoppolo's dropbacks in a favorable situation that I actually think, you know, Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins won't play in. So I actually love Ayuk. No matter like the format, if Debo Samuel is ruled out, because even if he is, I just don't think people are going to play Ayuk, no matter how scared they are, even though he had that amazing usage behind the scenes last week. And then finally, my highest rostered, because I think it's a sneaky stack. I think it's a great game. I'm, I'm pretty much all in on the Browns and Bengals over. And I like the Bengals quite a bit. I like Joe Burrow. 
who uh, you know will be two percent or less. Uh, no one's going to play Jamar Chase with Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams sitting there, and maybe what is the most rostered game as a whole in totality on the week. No one's going to play T. Higgins, even though he's destined to eventually get there. You know, after 15 targets, you would think he hopefully gets there. And then um, it's pretty concerted on Brown's side without Odo Beckham. It's either Jarvis Landry, who is an amazing run back or individual playing himself, or Nick Chubb, who we saw Chubb's floor. And the Bengals, what they do best is stop the run. But what they do worst is stop running backs in the passing game. And so... We know like that's Chubb's floor from last week, 65% of snaps or 56% of snaps, 16 to 21 running back carries, two targets among this backfield. But if that's his floor in his first game back from in reserve, what is this volatile ceiling we're not aware of? Because he still handled a season high 70% of Brown's backfield touches. So if his role for whatever reason increases now in his second game back from in reserve, there's a ceiling we don't know without Kareem Hunt. And so I kind of just like jumping on that before he reaches that because that's when his salary jumps up 800 to 1K like next week if he gets there. So I love this game as a whole. Yeah, another game that I think, uh, I'm not sure because the quarterback will probably be one of the more popular quarterbacks a week, Lamar Jackson. Another player is kind of yeah. generally underpriced. 7,300 seems like a pretty uh, pretty weak price for him. Uh, but I think the answer, or just not the quarterback, essentially. Every other piece of the Ravens offense generally comes in pretty unpopular. Like I looked the last time they played, Lamar Jackson was on 10% of Millie Maker rosters, but uh, we had 6% Mark Andrews, and then it was like 13. It was actually just under 13 for Marquise Brown, who I don't believe got there, but he got like four, he only got like five passes but he gets all like 14 targets and over 300 air yards like that does not seem like a real stat and I checked like 10 times it is absolutely real I mean when their games are actually interesting Marquise Brown has like 150 and two easily within his range of outcomes and I do think this is a game that could be interesting we're gonna I would say a buy low spot on a Vikings offense that completely flopped versus uh, a poor Dallas defense last week uh, and a shouldn't have been a particularly good Dallas offense and somehow was under Cooper Rush. But I believe that they've been, I mean, they've been one of the more efficient teams, not only this year, but last year as well. When you have Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Dalvin Cook, who I think comes in particularly unpopular. I think this game is ripe for a buy low spot on the Vikings. And just generally outside of Lamar Jackson, the Ravens offense never seems to draw as much ownership as it should, especially given how condensed it is. They throw to an ancillary receiver, whether it be Sammy Watkins or Rashad Bateman, but primarily just a tight end and a wide receiver in Marquise Brown, who picks up air yards like no other receiver, even if he drops them a lot. Uh, so I will say, I think this game is probably at least uh, firmly in like uh, skinny stack territory, if not just outright go all in on it. One issue, and that's why it's volatile for tournaments, because it could go either direction. The one thing is Kirk Cousins, we know, piss poor against pressure. The Ravens also blitz wing Martindale at a top five rate. And that's why Cousins against pressure, you know, has averaged less than four yards per attempt. The thing is the blitz has to get there. There's no guarantee it gets there because in his two highest blitz games this year, the Cardinals and Panthers, he's actually completed 69% of his passes for six touchdowns and no picks. So if he's upright, despite the blitz, he's going to hit you hard. And it is a good bounce back spot. Also, do you think, because I like Dalvin Cook a lot. Uh, we've seen Dalvin Cook handle every touch of seven of them the past two games. Alexander Madison, like just a contingency player for 10-team redraft leagues. He's useless when Dalvin Cook is fully healthy. Do you think the Vikings passing game is going to get so much attention that Dalvin Cook is a good contrarian or leverage option? Because that's where I'm at right now. 
I actually don't think uh, really much of the Vikings side. It seems like always in L Lamar Jackson popular spots, people are very comfortable playing only Lamar Jackson naked, no runbacks, right. just because he can get so much on the ground. But his best games have still typically involved three passing touchdowns. And that's also fueled when your opponents play well. So I actually don't think much of the Vikings at all. Like, I don't actually think, and I was looking at some uh, roster chip projections, none of them look to be that popular. But I do think uh, among all of the options on the team, Dalvin Cook, who has, I mean, when Christian McCaffrey is or is not on, you know, maybe not on this slate, really has the highest ceiling is tied, you know, with Austin Eckler and Kamara, probably even higher than Eckler, though, because Eckler doesn't handle 100% of his team's mm -hmm. actual carries. I mean, he doesn't have a game with over 20 carries this year. Didn't have one last. He probably does. He never, he might actually never. I'm looking, I can't find a game where he has over 20 carries. Whereas, like 30 plus touches is very attainable for Dalvin Cook. So, at 7,700, I think we like we would be dying to get 7,700 Dalvin Cook at the height of his powers last year. I don't think there's any real difference. As you said, his role has not changed in any way. His backups, Alexander Madison or CJ Ham, who randomly comes in for a red zone target, apparently, uh, you know, they're not getting much, if at all, run. I think he's like the ultimate buy, you know, as this offense is a buy low, he is at the peak of the buy low, just because I think he has a ceiling that is kind of unmatched outside of maybe two running backs on this slate, maybe three. And I think he will be among those running backs easily the least popular. Like I think Kamara comes in more popular. Eckler plays in a pretty exciting game that will probably draw some ownership. And then Zeke, a few hundred dollars cheaper will be way more popular. So Cook as like the premier, one of the league's premier elite running backs, being unpopular, just another spot I'm willing to buy the dip on. And it's not like Devontae Adams, where obviously there's concern that I am buying Adams at low ownership because that is for good reason. I really mm -hmm. don't see that as the case, especially the Baltimore defense is like, they're nothing. They're one of the worst defenses in yards per play allowed. They're actually uh, 30th, just below the Chiefs, or I guess above in that sense. Uh, so yeah, another defense that probably has way more notoriety than they actually have, uh, you know, backing it up on the field, if they have any notoriety, because that's the thing is they're terrible right now, at least. That's why builds for me this week have basically been boiling down to like, you could even get quite easily actually the three of four expensive running backs in your lineup. And then your wide receivers correlate your stacks if you really want that. And so that's why like builds for me, like I've just been toying with, you know, Zeke, Kamara and Cook. And if you told me to rank them, I guess according to tournaments, it would be Cook and then Zeke and Kamara, but also I could see myself going to Cowboys passing game and still playing those other two since on DraftKings, Amari and CD are both so cheap. So that's why I think there are, there are just a lot of ways to go. But yeah, I, I think Cook is a, a pretty awesome play. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need ebay motors has it at affordable prices and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What about the player you are most, or situation you're most going to fade this week? I mean, I, th- I think it probably is just Ezekiel Elliott. There's maybe uh, like uh, one to two spots. If CD Lamb comes in the game, questionable ends up playing. I guess he probably wouldn't be that popular, especially given the uh, like the actual severity of the injury, not like a fake questionable like we see with a lot of veterans. Uh, he's he's legitimately questionable. So to me, I- I'm probably just not going to play any Zeke just because touchdowns are random they could be spread to different players i'm probably not playing much of this offense but i do think there are a few ways to get creative with the passing game dalton schultz over like dalton schultz just picking up two red zone touchdowns would not be surprising especially with blake jarwin out this game even now like we are insulated from potential gallup return i think if gallup return probably be good for dalton schultz in terms of his popularity because dalton schultz best games obviously have come since uh you know since galloping out in that first game i believe mm-hmm. but He's not going, he's, who are they taking him off the field for now that Blake Jarwin isn't involved? He will play almost every snap, I assume. If that's the case, the red zone equity picks up as just a potential dump off for touchdowns. I would love him as just stealing. He steals two touchdowns from Zeke and that's all we need. Cause I'm not really afraid of Zeke. Uh, Like he's not the same sort of explosive talent. I think we have in like, I'm not even hundred percent sold. He's the best back on this team. I'm worried about him punching in three red zone touchdowns. That's the best thing about Zeke. And at 7,000, he can certainly like do that and pay off. But if you have someone who soaks up those touchdowns, I think it is far more likely that someone on his team soaking up touchdowns kills him than it is for, say, someone like Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara or Austin Eckler, who they could score zero touchdowns and just get 10 catches for 101 yards. And that is more than enough to pay off. Zeke doesn't have that out. He is a touchdown or bust, like a multi-touchdown or bust play. And I think he is one who is very susceptible to having his touchdowns pilfered by having a great passing game around him. I agree. Uh, he is still actually projecting for me as the top running back on FanDuel as well, yeah. at 8,200 even. But with Cook sitting at 8,800, uh, Kamara a little tougher at 9,400, even though I could see myself getting there. Like, yeah, there there are ways to pay up and just avoid Zeke entirely. And like I said, still go Dak and Amari, Dak and CD and Amari. If I don't play Zeke, I, I'm confident it will be because I have Dak in my lineup. Otherwise, I'll just figure it out around Alberto or someone else from there. I am. I think actually I'm gonna get off the Packers Chiefs game by the end of the week, and that sucks. But again, I I love these two situations between the Broncos and the Cowboys, and the Browns and the Bengals so much that I think those are gonna be my main focus that I'm gonna hone in on. Whether it be Jarvis Landry or Nick Chubb, whether it be you know Jamar Chase as uh, the under rostered top three receiver behind Adams and Hill in that game. I can just see myself convincing by Sunday morning, because this is what I do. I convince myself into things and just talk to myself as I build lineups. I can say, okay, well, if everyone's going to roster these two players, they're going to forget about this guy here. No one wants to play Jamar Chase, even though I think we saw his floor last week. His floor is 30 yards and a touchdown. Like I'm okay with this floor. That's okay. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a blow up spot actually for the Bengals offense against a Browns bad Browns Browns pass defense. We know Burrow's the best in the league against the blitz. Even if they don't blitz, just getting pressure, it doesn't matter to me. And then also the Browns, what they do is stop the run. So I, I'm not worried about Joe Mixon soaking up touchdown equity. I would just need this game to go five to 10 points over its 47 total, which is increased from the beginning of the week. And I think it definitely gets there since both passing defenses are very poor. So yeah, I, I could see myself just saying, okay, 
Chiefs Packers out of my frame since everyone's so focused on it. Instead, Bengals Browns, and that's the way I'm going to play this. I would guess that the Chiefs Packers game is not uh, wildly popular especially in the context of Mahomes games almost okay. always should be popular. I do think that all sides, except maybe uh, Gallup slash Cedric Wilson, if Gallup doesn't play, and then Dalton Schultz are probably the only pieces of the uh, Cowboys game that aren't at least the Cowboys side of that game that aren't popular, which is why I'm hesitant to even like do more than like the one-off Schultz, just because I'm not sure it's a place you can build much leverage into your lineup because you're just trading out one piece of chalk in Zeke for another piece of chalk in Amari Cooper. Uh, one spot that I think is really interesting will be the Miami Dolphins now without Devontae Parker, just got placed on IR. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, they immediately jump back into, they still don't have Will Fuller as well, who seems like another week two or at least from returning. They just jump right back into the entire, I assume at least the entirely Jalen Waddle and Mike Gusecki show. And I don't know if I buy this because he just doesn't, profile of the type of player people like to uh play miles gaskin is actually coming in as, is fairly popular and it does make sense although i don't think miles gaskin is anyone people are excited to play people are obviously excited to jam in running backs against the texans giving up i believe the second most rushing yards per game but like it's miles gaskin like he doesn't even have a firm lead on touches over salvin ahmed i'm perfectly fine with the two is stack with the two most ob- like there's you don't have to worry about playing a third player just play gasecki play jalen waddle and Tua as potential leverage off Gaskin. Do you think Gaskin is popular? He's like, I mean, he's a perfectly no. fine play. Okay. Well, maybe because the issue is maybe people assume that because they're heavily favored, that Gaskin's like going to come in for garbage time and like pad the lead. But yeah. the Dolphins pass with the lead at a league high rate. Like they're just not going to run the ball. That's not what they do. And so – I don't know if people will get there. Uh, that's why I initially came in liking Tua a lot, too. And he probably still is a good option. But the fact that uh, he's dealing with a, a finger injury that he's listed questionable as, I still expect him to play, though. The target tree, at least, like you mentioned, did get dwindled down to sh- basically Mike Jasicki and Jalen Waddle, And then Tyra Taylor coming back, we expect the Texans to be able to push the Dolphins back. You know, because they averaged six yards per play with Tyrod Taylor. They were a respectable offense because he can complete a pass, which Davis Mills can't. So, yeah, I, I could see this game going over. I could see the Texans winning this game actually as well, which keeps the Dolphins competitive too. Because remember, the Dolphins are not, not a good team either. They were in a contention with the Jaguars, which tells you everything you need to know about what the Dolphins are as a team. So, overall, yeah, like I, I could see this game being a, a sneaky one to get on for sure. Yeah, and it's a game, like you said, Tyron Taylor coming back is actually big because Davis Mills is very bad. And their five-and-a-half-point spread would be, uh, since that week one win against Jacksonville, their second-closest game. They've been annihilated in in nearly every other game. Only one game since that Jacksonville game has been within, uh, you know, that five-and-a-half points they are projected right now. And the spread has tightened since opening, I think, around seven, maybe, beginning of the week. So if it's actually a close, contentious game, we've seen Miami, as you said, even with they're playing with, like, a modest lead, they're pretty high, like, the highest pass rate team. So I do think, I think people just kind of assume that running back versus Houston is kind of a print fest, which, I mean, I'm, they're giving up, like, 140-some-odd yards in the ground weekly. It is generally a good spot. Although Miami would be a team, as you noted, to probably not take advantage of that as much. And as I noted, I think Salvin Ahmed has enough of a role that it's very possible that he just pilfers the one touchdown opportunity you get from Gaskin, and that's the end of the day. Or they just throw in the red zone, you know, for whatever reason, and that's the end of the day for Gaskin. To me, the question is how much leverage are you building? I don't know if he's that popular. Right now, I'm looking at some ownership projections, and he does seem to be a, a popular, cheaper play. If that holds by the time we get Sunday morning, I do think the two stack would be a really good play. Otherwise, it's just uh, like modestly interesting just because it's going to project somewhat well. 
the uh, the stack options are quite obvious, quite convinced. Is that it for your sneaky stacks, or do you have a couple more? I think to me that's kind of the the best one. Can you actually like? I don't know if it ends up being sneaky, but Jordan Love is so cheap, and he has the best probably receiver in the league, yeah. and he plays Doris Stevens in the league by yards per play allowed. I don't think he'll be popular although it might just be simply for price purposes that he's i mean was like 4400 on DraftKings. i don't think he's that popular i think he stays well under five percent and assuming that is the case he's got Devonte adams and he plays against the worst defense i don't care if he's bad which he probably is i wish he was going to be more popular i've thought about that as well i don't think he will be just average literally lukewarm paint drying in the preseason less than eight yards per attempt is one touchdown was a 16-yard screen pass to Kylan Hill. He only had one carry, so he doesn't offer a rushing floor. 4,400 is is very cheap. Also, you have to keep in mind, to play Jordan Love, everyone's probably using that excess salary to build the same way. And so i just be very careful how you build outside of Jordan Love, knowing that everyone is then taking Devontae Adams for a stack option because they can afford it, and then jumping to these other players like Tyreek Hill is another expensive option. The list goes on. For sure. So I, don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll play Jordan Love. It is admittedly like the best possible spot for like someone making their first start for being so cheap. I mean, it's the Chiefs defense. Sometimes it's as simple as this matchup and it's this matchup for Jordan Love. That's a really good point though. Like, especially because Tyreek Hill correlates well and you have the salary to play him. It's like every Jordan Love lineup, even though like, you know, you think you're only competing with a, you know, let's say he's 5%, right? You're only competing with a few Jordan Love lineups relative to the rest of, you know, the Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts lineups. Uh, you are competing with the same style of lineup, assuming you have played, which would be my uh, my gut instinct is to play Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. You're comp- all like 4.9% of, of the 5% Jordan Love lineups are that start just because it's so obvious, both the salary and the correlation fits. That's a really good, at least thing to note if you're playing that type of lineup, like the same way I talked about Dak stacks are probably going to be pretty obvious. Like, you know, probably just Mari Cooper, CD lamb. If he plays, if not, I would assume like Dalton Schultz, they're hard to get different, but like a, a Michael gap would be very different. So it's not just about like the individual players, but it's about how that builds your roster and how, even though you have the correlation uh, it's the correlation everyone has potentially. So I do think that's a really good note on, uh, on the Jordan love lineups, just because the way they let you build or, force you let you something like that build another one i think is just kind of interesting because it would project well and i doubt it's that popular is Derek carr he just has two underpriced pass catchers especially sans henry ruggs potential for specifically i think it would be darren waller among these two players mm-hmm. to maybe just see a little bit more of a field pushing role he's no one's really replacing the way ruggs plays zay jones will probably run that role and probably mostly just get wind sprints untargeted because he's Zay jones i would imagine just because i think henry ruggs probably has an ability to separate that zay jones doesn't but under renfro is just under on both sides you said even on vandal where he doesn't profile as the FanDuel guy the FanDuel guys are the yardage monsters the touchdown guys and he's a pat like a just a catch and get you your PPR points even on FanDuel he projects as one of the best values let alone on DraftKings where it's obvious that his reception value is high he just got like the one of the best value tight ends one of the best value receivers to me those lineups will project well and they're not particularly exciting to play but I don't think Derek Carr will be that popular so I think that's like interesting just from like the math of it I have like nothing interesting to say about the game or Derek Carr, who's a, a good, if not uh, not that exciting quarterback, his lineups will just project well and not be that popular. 
the line has a move because there's been a lot going on with the Raiders organization. Like I want to see the Raiders team total increase. I want to see the total increase. If it starts increasing over the week because like sharp betters are steaming it, I could see myself getting on Derek Carr. Cause like you said, I think double stacks are very clear. It's Hunter Renfro who is the best receiver on that team and Darren Waller. And let's just call it a day. Then we can run back Tony and hope for the best since Tony I still is such really a good run back to that. I like that call earlier. I wish I had come up with that. Cause that's a very good call. Since, uh, I really don't believe like in either defense at all, even though like the Raiders have led the league in pressure rate in their two weeks under Rich Passaccia because they've been playing a few different, more of a, like a heavier blitzkrieg attacking scheme. But overall, like if we're just getting dump offs to Tony, who was removed from the injury report on Friday, like that's a, that's a pretty sneaky game as well. So I want to see it increase though. I want, I want the whales to tell me that, Hey, you should jump on this game. So I'm going to wait on it, but I am sitting on the, that idea for sure. Uh, I also like, Dalvin Cook with the Vikings defense. We've seen Lamar struggle at times. We've also seen that every game, which is why I also have a few bets in on the Vikings plus six, plus six and a half. I mean, the Vikings, they don't they don't get blown out. They also don't win in blowouts. They they play every single game close. Uh, it's because their in-game coaching is terrible. And that's what ultimately decides a game of inches. It's a cliche, but it's very true every single week. And so they'll be in this game. It's just a matter of what happens afterwards. And so I don't mind like playing Dalvin Cook and then spinning down on the Vikings defense instead. I've already talked about the Browns, Bengals, however way you go. Browns very condensed between two players. Bengals also, it's to me, it's either since we know the Browns are so good at stuffing the run. I am not worried about Joe Mixon at all this week. It's to me, it's either a Joe Burrow and or T Higgins and Jamar Chase or just one of the receivers and Jarvis Landry or Nick Chubb. It's, it's very, very simple. It's just a matter of what fits. And if you want to spend down at running back, that's up to you. No run back, but Bill's onslaught, I think is still very interesting, uh, especially if Cole Beasley's not vet rest. It actually is a rib injury. He seems truly questionable. And if he's out, it gets so condensed. I mean, it's literally Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders. And so like, I would just play them. Gabriel Davis is a cheap option too, but you know where the downfield targets are going to go. So I don't mind just playing them. And if you also want to play Zach Moss, knowing that that's who else they checked down to last week in the second half, as they went to a more of a, a quick passing scheme to get back in the rhythm out there by after a very poor first half against the Dolphins, then you can shove Zach Moss in there as well from Josh Allen. So I just like pretty much fading out Tommy Sweeney and Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley's out, and then going to the three guys that we trust in to get the touchdown equity the most. And then uh, we already talked about, I've already had Tony and Waller and maybe Renfro in there as well, but I didn't get to Derek Carr. So we actually tag team there and trying to form the perfect stack. I'm interested in that, but either way, I like Tony and at least one Raiders player. We'll see what happens with, you know, how people roster this game, because then I could be convinced to go Derek Carr and those two players in particular, because I don't have any faith at all in Brian Edwards and Zay Jones. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and close out as we usually do with the loose Kerouacian notes in my brain throughout the week. Tyler Conklin, 3K. Everyone loves Tyler Conklin. He's popping in models. What do you think about Tyler Conklin compared to Alberto, but just in general on the slate? Uh, I didn't know. I actually had no idea that he would uh, be popular. Just, He's projecting uh, as one of the top tight ends in, in my mind. I, I would never play Tyler Conklin as a popular play. <laughs> Pivot to KJ Osborne because those two are like consistently one of them has a good game and the other one goes right, right in that right game. Away. Yeah, it's just I would just take I would always just take the one who's less popular of those two. You know, early in season KJ Osborne wasn't getting priced up. I'm sure he had maybe it was popular. I don't know. Uh, that'd be a great Tyler Conklin spot. The spots where Tyler Conklin is popular, literally play anyone else because he's probably only guaranteed like three targets. If he doesn't get in the end zone, it's not a good game for him. I would much rather uh, play like 
Albert O, given that I think they're similar plays. Albert O is cheaper, and apparently, as you're telling me, the uh, the roster chip actually won't be like wildly different, right? I would have actually not thought Kunk would be popular at all. So no, I would not play. Uh, I mean, you know, there's the right type of lineup to play Conklin, and I'm sure you can make positive expected value lines with Conklin. Plenty of people entering dead lineups in a large field contest, so it's okay to, you know, give up some EV somewhere. I would not be doing that with Conklin, though. I think uh, it'd be easy to not play him. So you touched on uh, a few, like, Bill's notes that I was going through. You hinted at some Bill stuff that I was just going to bring up in loose notes. Uh, yeah. Zach Moss ran 25 routes to Devin Singletary's 11 routes last week. They've typically split or even Devin Singletary run more routes. It seems like Zach Moss is just uh, kind of the guy now, uh, at least as close to the guy as we will get on Buffalo, and especially with those routes. I think it's perfectly fine to play him as a not too expensive guy inside of your Josh Allen lineups. And that'll also be different. I think Allen, I mean, they have that. They're one of the only like one or two or three teams with like a just massive they team have, total. They have, the, they have the highest team total on the entire board. Uh, even the Cowboys are two points behind them. Ooh, yeah. So, I, you know, he'll be popular. Josh Allen will be popular. Is, but there are plenty of pieces I think that can fit in with him that won't be as popular. Emmanuel Sanders now, I believe, leads the Bills in air yards on the season, has more air yards and a higher share, obviously. L- last than- week was such a dud. Like, I mean, four targets, zero catches. It's almost like a spot where I could see people playing Sanders in cash games because, like, that's how easy of a play he is. Like, yeah. we, we have confidence. Maybe he doesn't score a touchdown, but we have total confidence he's going to be just fine. Like, his floor is like 60 yards in this game. Yeah, I believe he's north uh, of a third of the team's air yards, which is ahead of Stephon Diggs, whose target share and air yard share are down year over year. At his price, and he actually kind of looks like he'll be popular because Bills are always deservingly popular. I'd much rather play, if Beasley plays, a Beasley-Sanders-Allen uh, or a, you know, a, a Sanders-Zach Moss-Allen lineup just because I am increasingly a little less uh, you know, faithful to Stephon Diggs as he becomes less of the team's super alpha and more of just the number one, but in any given game, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders can run laps around him in terms of air yards. He can be the guy they go to multiple times deep. And Stefan Diggs, while he sees a similar amount of targets, has way less expected fantasy points because he get, doesn't get all the deep shots anymore. So I think like Sanders, probably a pretty good tournament player, regardless of if you're playing Al in that lineup. But I do love him as a stack option because also, unlike Beasley, who can get there without, like he can just pick up 100. Like last week, I think it was like something like 13 targets, his third game with 13 targets. He tops 100 yards, but doesn't score. Given his PPR value, probably has a lower correlation to his quarterback. He can get there without his quarterback. Sanders is relying on two or three plays of 30-plus yards, and that's perfect for the correlation with Josh Allen. So I think he's probably like he was last week. He'll continue to be my favorite stacking option over Stephon Diggs uh, until they price him up or Diggs down. Uh, Depending what happens, I could also see myself definitely – playing Sanders solo, like as a standalone yeah. piece. Like we show the tournament, the winning tournament lineups that we had Joe Mixon. I could actually see myself playing just Sanders by himself to get some touchdown equity among that game. Uh, we hit on it a little bit. Like Ayuk, I really like if Samuel's ruled out, because even if he's ruled out, I don't think people are going to get there mentally to play Ayuk. But I'm curious about your thoughts on 49ers Cardinals as a whole. Let's pretend Hopkins and Kyler Murray are ruled out. Like, uh, would Rondo Moore interest you, for example? Would another 49ers player like Elijah Mitchell interest you? Um, any thoughts on the game? Yeah, to me, Rondo Moore, especially if we don't get Hopkins, but we already don't, uh, AJ Green, the COVID list, I don't believe he's right. coming back at this point. Uh, I mean, technically, if he has, like, his, uh, he's vaccinated, has a negative test under his belt already at the time we're recording this, he could come back. Although we've seen in the past, it's, it's more like a, a pretty much a one-week kind of lock that these guys aren't playing. So assuming he's not, and especially if DeAndre Hopkins uh, is not, like, I really don't see, like, I get that we have this situation come up a lot where one receiver's out and we just slot in the guy who is fourth, or, you know, in this case, if it's the receiver three, the fourth guy in targets up. In that case, that would be Rondale Moore. 
and that doesn't come to fruition because that's not how NFL teams operate. But they have, up until last week, Antoine Wesley, their, I guess because he gets active over Andy Isabella, their wide receiver five, did not have any targets. He picked up a few targets last week. Andy Isabella is routinely a healthy scratch. I don't see those types of players getting elevated over Rondale Moore. I think they just more switch up where they play their receivers, you know, once Hopkins, if Hopkins is out. Regardless of if he's out, though, I think Kirk, who played almost exclusively in the outside last year, that's where they ran like 80, 90% of his routes. He would move to the outside. Rondale Moore would be a full-time slot. They don't have like a backup tight end now that I'm like thinking they will use a lot. And they also run, uh, you know, two running back at one of the league's lowest rates. Like they have like 19 two running back snaps on the year and they had a similar amount last year. So I don't think that's something they switched to. I just think more plays nearly every play, which at that point, yes, I would be very interested in like 4,200, I think, Rondale Moore. If it was Kyler in, not expecting it again, but if it was yeah. Kyler in and Hopkins and Green still out, I would actually play Kirk over Moore. Um, I'd take a chance on that and then run back Ayuk if Samuel's out. It's just a touch-and-go situation, so it's hard to know right now. But I'm not trusting Kirk if it's Colt McCoy, but I still think you can get away with Ron Moore and DraftKings in particular if it's Colt McCoy. He was bad, so bad with the Giants <laughs> last year. So don't expect anything else. Also, I'm so confident that you should probably go bet the 49ers right now. Anyways, you touched on the Dolphins-Texans as well. Like, we've already talked about how it's contrarian to spend up a tight end because everyone wants to spend down for Albert O. So do you have, like, utmost confidence in Mike Jasicki in a bounce-back game? Because also last week we talked about how the Bills – typically handle tight ends. I didn't have much confidence in him in that one, but now it's a great bounce back spot because the target tree, like you said, also condensed. And we know Jasicki averaged eight targets so far without Devontae Parker and just 6.2 when he's played. So I don't think people are going to play him. And he's, in my opinion, a pretty awesome play. Yeah, I think uh, that's like... You, you line it out. There's nothing really I have to add to it. They will condense to two players, and they have the fifth highest implied team total. I mean, they're playing the Texans. That shouldn't come as a surprise, but I do yeah. think it just goes uh, undersold just how many points Vegas expects them to put up. And at their prices, and Gusecki plays like 80-plus percent of his snaps out wide. He is just legitimately a, a big, fast, wide receiver who happens to have tight end designation on all fantasy sites. The way they use him, the obvious high implied team total, and the fact that, as you alluded to, they're not a team that is just going to you know salt the game away with 30 total running back carries is like the ideal spot and on top of that the context of the slate where paying down is going to be popular makes him like uh you know i talked about stacking to it he absolutely does not need to be stacked with two though he's a player who i would get to as a one-off a perfectly high amount brandon cooks on the other side probably just another player we should bring up now with tyra taylor back in the fold feel much more confident that he's actually able to capitalize on like a, a top five weighted opportunity if you are playing a million maker uh i could also wrap my head around well, I can't personally wrap my head around it, but if you're playing the Millie Maker and you play two of stacks, then Brevin Jordan also like, isn't the worst idea. Everyone's going to play Albert O. Like, why the hell not? Why not play Brevin Jordan, who's going to play in full since Pharaoh Brown got rolled out? So, Willie, had- Jordan Aikens, uh, he split reps with Jordan Aikens last week, and Aikens saw five targets, I believe, to Brevin Jordan's four. Although it's like Brevin Jordan looked uh, pretty, I mean, he's, he's incredibly athletic. He was yeah, like, a- he was ba- he's basically like a wide receiver in the league because he was too small to be an explosive tight end. Yeah. Uh, but they're using him, at least for last week, his first game. <laughs> they used him somewhat intricately. And then we haven't touched on the Eagles Chargers at all. Both the uh, Chargers starting cornerbacks around Chris Harris and nickel packages got rolled out. And while I would love to attack them with a different quarterback, it's instead Jalen Hurts, so we have to do what we can. But any thoughts on, you know, the Boston Scott against the league's worst rush defense against Jalen Hurts, who we have still have pretty confidence in this game. Uh, maybe Keenan Allen, since we know Darius Slay has 
only shadowed when he's been matched up against like terrific boundary receivers. I would guess he shadows this game. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is one like I have probably the the least interesting amount of thoughts on because I think the uh, general ownership and it looks roughly efficient. I do think though, Boston Scott, like no one, no one in their right mind is going back to to Boston Scott, which is the perfect reason to play him because it's very clear that they have no interest in playing Kenneth Gamble. Anything could shift, but we even saw this leading up to Miles Sanders' injury. He went from splitting reps, Kenneth Gainwell getting plenty of targets to Kenneth Gainwell up until the the game Sanders was injured in. It was pretty much phased out. He had like four or five touches in the final two games before Sanders' injury. So uh, the team has made it pretty clear that Boston Scott is their number one running back, will also get red zone usage despite his diminutive size. Mm-hmm. He would be like, I think despite what he did last week, he's just a player people would refuse to go to and would be the ideal pivot off of uh, off of the offense. Against, as you said, like, uh, as I, I think uh, we've alluded to on probably the Wednesday show, I would imagine is where happen a defense that is particularly susceptible to being beat uh on the ground yes i i also think if the eagles fall behind i think we do see kenneth gainwell so like if that's the narrative you're telling yourself because you're playing keenan allen or something like that like i i genuinely on draft i don't think kenneth gainwell is a bad play honestly uh if you you think think so he didn't run a route last week i don't believe Right, but they were never in position to like let him run around. That's the yeah. Thing. They only like, had uh, I think it was something like nineteen uh, dropbacks and only fourteen pass attempts because yeah, Williams like and how often are the Eagles like one of the worst teams in the league and have a thirty point lead never so yeah like the Chargers I mean, Boston Scott still got nine routes in. It's not like uh it, you know it's not like they were uh choosing. It's not like they were like oh we didn't pass once. They were right. still in you know almost twenty passing I, situations and Scott played all of that or at least he was the only one who ran routes. Uh, he, I just, think it was nine routes. So like you said. They weren't, you know, they had nine running back routes. That's not a lot to distribute, but right. it was 9-0 yeah. for Scott. If, if genuinely, if like Gainwell outtouched Scott here, it would not be shocking to me at all. Uh, just that's the way they use their running backs. But with that, I don't really have confidence in this game either. I think I'm going to skip it entirely. If I did get somewhere, I think it'd be Allen, but I don't like any of the Eagles runs back, so I probably won't. But with that, any other closing thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think we covered everything, at least that, that I want to talk about. I think we did too. So he's at Kyle tweets here on Twitter at Najee Daigle from myself on Twitter as well. NBC sports edge.com. We will be back to answer all your start sit shows on the start sit special. That's not the title, but that's what I'm calling it. Cause I forgot what it's called presented by Applebee's. That's the important part to remember. So until then we'll see you for those start sit questions that I ignored on the side on Sunday morning, since there are so many injuries and I'm looking forward to answering them then good luck this week. We will be back next week, Friday, 6 PM Eastern. Remember we will recap the show on Monday morning with our tournament lineup. So until then, see you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.